back with more of the Pope on film. Okay, something happened to your sound. Ronnie! Yeah, there you go. <laughs> My microphone fell and it messed everything up. Okay. And we are back. If we are like, back. If you're like me, and I know I am, uh, you're no doubt a big fan of this podcast, The Pope on Film. I mean, who is it nowadays in this day and age, in this economy? Of course, everyone's a huge fan. Who wouldn't be? This this podcast has so much going for it, it's amazing. But only the real fans, the true fans, the hardcore fans who have been with us since the beginning, back when our podcast was just a zine in the 90s. Yes. The Pope on Film zine, exclusively available at Tower Records, Borders, and Radio Shack. Remember those days, Bonnie? Oh, man, we were, we were younger then. We were, we were. We were younger, but... A little uh, foolish, a little foolhardy. Yes, very much so. Very much so. Occasionally, hooligans. Hooligans, and then we became ruffians. Yes. So, but only the real fans, the true hardcore fans, would know the two main facts about us. The, the two of us, America's hottest podcasting couple, Bunny and Steve. First and foremost, Bunny, is the fact that when you're not doing the podcast, you're a professional dancer. Why don't you tell us a bit more about that? I, I am. I, I Dance has always been something that has been very, very special for me. Uh, when I was just a young boy, I, I found that the only real way I can truly express myself was through dance. And I felt through dance, I, I was communicating what I was on a deeply intimate and personal personal level very so deep. what very deep so that is why i have specialized particularly in the hokey pokey because that's what it's all about that's what it's all about very you're wise. <laughs> You're a wise man. Wise beyond your years. And the second fact that you would Genie know made me, me lose it. That's all yeah. I'm saying. Yeah, I heard that. And the second fact that you would know about me is that I'm a lover of history. I love it. But I'm also a storyteller. So what I like to do at this part of the podcast is I like to get a story from the history books. Maybe one that people don't know too well, and sort of reworded by my own unique storytelling style, and that's what this is, another educationally uneducational installment of Steve's Historic Approximation! Or Shap, as I like to call it, repeatedly, annoyingly, whether anyone wants me to or not. Now, personally, I like the name Shap. It's short and it's snappy. It's the White Stripes fell in love with a girl of podcast segments. 
Anywho, before we get started with this episode of the podcast, I'd like to take a drink of this cold can of Sprite. Ah, Sprite. A soda so good, you'll lick a dog's asshole for it. Drink Sprite today. That is some good soda. Yeah, well, I'm just reading the copy that they wrote here. I don't know why they would say that. It, personally, to me, it sounds a little bit dirty, but hey, that's what Sprite, our official sponsor, told us to say. They also it's, want It's very to... reminiscent in back of the day, Mangled Baby Ducks. Yes, Mangled Baby yeah. Ducks. Uh, I would also like to take this time to say that uh, Sprite is about to release a brand new uh, uh, flavor of Sprite. Very excited to be the first to announce exclusively here on the Pope on Film podcast, Sprite's new flavor, McDonald's Sprite flavored Sprite. Okay. Everyone knows that Sprite tastes better at a McDonald's at the soda fountain, so they're finally releasing a McDonald's Sprite flavored Sprite. So I'm really excited. It's going to so much like McDonald's Sprite, you'll be able to taste the homeless person bathing in the McDonald's bathroom. Yes. Yes. Well, it's it's really because you can you can only get low page workers to clean those soda machines so often. That's why it's so good. It's like a it's like a cast iron skillet. Yes. The less they clean the McDonald's, the more flavor they. Yes. Makes sense. Anywho, this week on the old Shappity Shap Shap, we will be doing a very short, sharp Shap about a small town in Arizona that brought us one of the most important inventions of the 20th century. It's short but good. It's, it's, it's so good. So this Shap comes to us. From Sierra Vista, Arizona. Okay. It's 75 miles southeast of Tucson, so it's roughly about two hours away from Phoenix, which is where all the action is. It's a part of Cochise County, which is where the old west town of Tombstone is, which I've been to so many times in my yeah. life. It's a real trip because you're just driving down a normal paved Street and there's a 7-Eleven, and there's a McDonald's, and you take a right, and oh, there's a vape shop, and uh, there is a uh, there's a convenience store, and then you take a left, and there's one street that has stayed exactly the same since the 1700s. One street, and this, yeah. there's the same saloon, there's the OK Corral, there's the Birdcage everything is exactly the same and the people who live there so many of them are just old people who will just get like hey i have an apartment now i'm gonna get in my wild west costume and uh get on my horse and ride into town and they're just just imagine like a renaissance fair but it's one street and everyone sort of lives there yeah it's really weird Going through a normal town, and then suddenly, oh, there's a McDonald's. Oh, there's a Carl's Jr. Now it's 18 
known since 1840. Well, look on the bright side, it could be Silent Hill. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, and also in Cochise County is the small hippie community of Bisbee. That's also a trip. It's, it's a small town sort of in this mountain range. Originally, the town was built because there were all these mines around there, but all the mines have closed down. So all of the uh, workers left, but a bunch of hippies and artists and stuff stayed in the town. It's really cool. And it's also where Douglas, Arizona is, which is uh, right along the border between Arizona and Mexico. Spent a lot of time there. I, I did a speech. It's, anyway, Sierra Vista, Arizona. I did a speech and debate tournament in Sierra Vista. I yeah. was in a hotel in Sierra Vista preparing for the state finals when Kurt Cobain died. I was okay. Say Kurt Cobain killed him. It, when Kurt Cobain's body was found in April of 94, it was a Friday night when they found his body. It turns out he had killed himself like three days before. Uh, odd bit of history that I happen to know exactly the spot that I was when Kurt Cobain killed himself. Yeah. Because uh, it, there's there are the actual speech and debate people, which are smart and, and learned and intellectual, and they grow up to become like lawyers. And then there was me. I was in humorous and turf, basically doing monologues and, and, and funny like comedy bits. So I was the... I ended up being, what, a fifth place in the entire state of Arizona. And... Uh, all the other speech and debate people were like hanging out in one room. It's like, hey, we're gonna get some food delivered, and you know, we got these sodas. You want to hang out? It's like, no, I gotta mentally prepare for tomorrow. So I went into the room and I'm practicing my monologue and I'm pacing and I'm like, I'm too nervous. I need to listen to some music. I'll turn on MTV. Apparently, Cobain's dead. <laughs> Fucking, I also know exactly where I was. It was also April, which is weird. When Columbine happened. Yeah. And I know that because there was a Sipple and Ollie marathon. And I was recording it on VHS. And I'm like making sure to pause the recording during the commercials. I don't want any commercials. Oh, but wait, this is a funny commercial with Tom Green. I'll keep this one. And hey, maybe I'll turn the channel and hey, during this commercial break, I'm going to have a little bit of this telenovela on. And uh, okay, maybe during this commercial break, I'll put on a little bit of the news. And uh, here you go. Here's a bit of the Columbine School Massacre. Simple <laughs> and Ollie. Ah, okay. So, also, I would be remiss if I didn't mention this for my own personal reasons. I had a crush on a woman named Heather who lived in Sierra Vista. I still do. We're still friends on Instagram. She's yeah. so attractive. We met at a minority journalism conference in high school. Because high school journalism, a lot of it is just freaking white dudes. So all of the minority uh, people in journalism in high school were invited to go to on Arizona to, to U of A, University of Arizona, for a two-week-long journalism conference. And 
there are only like 15 of us. Yeah. That's how many white people go into high school journalism. But Heather was one of them, and oh man, she was so pretty and so cool, and we would hang out, and I had such a huge crush on her, and she lived in Sierra Vista, and we would write each other letters, and we stayed friends, and we're still friends, and she's we talk to each other, and she's on Instagram, and she's so freaking, I, she looks exactly the same as she has since I first met her. Not a lot of other people have. I go see people from high school, and they look like they're... 60 years old. Yeah. So, okay. So that's the setting. That's the stage. It's Sierra Vista, Arizona. It's the 1970s. So at the center of the city is an army base, and it's called Fort Huachuca. I lived there. You lived in Sierra Vista? You lived no. in Huachuca? I lived at Fort Huachuca. Huachuca. Huachuca with an H. Huachuca with an H. Ha! Huachuca. Yeah, it was originally built in 1877 as Camp Huachuca. And eventually it turned into Fort Huachuca. And yeah, it was an army base. And basically this entire small town was, was built around this army base. And that's uh, Sierra Vista, which is around Fort Huachuca. Jeannie lived there. That's crazy. I was in fourth grade. Okay, so uh, you might know a little bit of this shack. Don't spoil it for anyone, okay? Okay, okay. Okay. So a bunch of, so a bunch of fast food restaurants opened around Fort Huachuca in the 60s and 70s. And they're like, hey, here's an army there's all these soldiers, and they're going to need food. I'm going to build this. So here's Fort Huachuca, and then there's a Burger King here. There's a Taco Bell here. There's a Wendy's here. Old yellow Wendy's. I miss yellow Wendy's. I miss the Wendy's where you sit down at a table, and they had, like, an old newspaper on the table. Miss old school Wendy's. Okay. And then there's a McDonald's, and then there's a Burger King, and then there's all these fast food places. And they're hoping to cash in on the army base. Ah, but there's a problem! Because some army bases have this rule. Not every army base, but some army bases have this rule. And it, as it turns out, Fort Huachuca had this rule. The, I believe that the Navy, this rule is 100%. But... Uh, not every base has this rule, but Fort Huachuca had this rule, and the rule was your army uniform, your military uniform, that is your work uniform. When you have that uniform on, that means you are a member of the United States Army. I don't want to see you at the Safeway in your uniform. You can't be wearing it at Smitty's, AJ Bayless, Abco. Uh, Kmart? No, you are not allowed to set foot in public while wearing your army fatigues at all. Period. Whatsoever. You are not allowed to set foot. Important part. Foot. These are the feet. If this is a visual thing, and podcasting is an audio medium, so if you're watching this, hey, you get this. But these are the feet, and you've got it. You can't set your foot. Outside in public, in your army uniform, 
So the fast food places are doing shit business, absolute shit business, because, uh, oh, hey, it's lunchtime. Great, okay, it's lunchtime, but you're not going to go get lunch because, hey, you've got a half hour to go get food. You're just going to end up going to the mess hall or whatever and get a crap at the cafeteria because, yeah, there's a McDonald's right off the base. So if you want to get McDonald's, you know what you have to do? You have to go back to your barracks. You have to take off this part of your outfit, take off this part of your outfit, take off this part of your outfit, hang it up to make sure that it looks nice for when you get back, put on your regular outfit, get in your car, drive over to McDonald's, go into the McDonald's, wait in the line, get your food, eat your food. Now you have barely any time. You've got to rush back to the Army base, get back to your barracks, Put on this part of your outfit, that part of your outfit, that part of your outfit, and then go back to freaking work to army. And so people just weren't going to the fast food places because it was a pain in the butt. You put foot in public, so the McDonald's is there. The McDonald's are like, shit, I don't know what we're going to do. Barely making any money at all. We need to come up with ideas. Come on, people. We need ideas. Who's got ideas? Who's got ideas? And as it turns well, out... Do, do what they already do and put the McDonald's right on the fucking base. <laughs> yeah, we keep getting fooled because we go to Target in Midwest City, Oklahoma and then, oh, we need some food. Let's get some food. What's around here? Let me check uh, Google Maps. Oh, there's a Burger King right nearby. Okay, so it says to go here and go here, and shit, it's in the base. Fuck, this is the third time we've done this. We can't get Burger King because we're not going to kill for our country. Crap! So, so it's like, we gotta, we got to save the restaurant. Well, whose idea? What ideas do you have? You have an idea? Go. I've got an idea. We can put on a breakdancing show. No. 70s breakdancing hasn't been invented yet. You, do you have an idea? Yes, we can put on a play. No, we can't do that. And what about you? Eugene, the littlest McDonald's employee. Uh, do you have an idea? Yeah, I've got an idea. I just went to the bank. And back in the day, like uh, the 1910s, the 1920s, if you had to go to a bank, you parked outside of the bank. You waited in a long line. But then in the 1920s in Dallas, a guy named George Dahl in Dallas, Texas said, I got a, I got a crazy idea. Just make a fucking window in the back. People can just drive up. They won't have to leave their cars. And then in the 1930s in St. Louis, this guy said, hey, I heard about this bank in Dallas. They just made a fucking window in the back. Yeah. And then, boom, by the 70s, every bank had like a drive-up, drive-through. And, and yeah, in the 1910s and 20s and 40s and 50s, you had drive-in restaurants like Sonic or uh, Mel's Diner, you know? And there are like car hop in their roller skates. And stuff yeah. Like that, but that was it. Then in 1920, the first drive through opened. It was created for Kirby's Pig Stand, again in Dallas, Texas. And 
few other small-time places that very early typed of this, but it didn't catch on until Sierra Vista went. I just went to the bank, and that gave me an idea. An idea to save the business and make money, and also kind of, sort of, to say fuck you to the army. What if? And no other fast food places have really done this. And no McDonald's. We the first McDonald's ever, but I got an idea. Let's just fucking open a window on the side if the army people can't set foot in the base we need to come up with a way to give them their food where they don't leave their freaking car let's just bank it we'll open a window on the side they can drive up order the food we give it to them they can just drive right back to base and eat the food they won't have to get out of their uniform and we can make money so in Sierra Vista, Arizona, the first ever real fast food drive-thru opened up in a McDonald's in Sierra Vista, Arizona, and it opened up to make money and to fuck off Fort Huachuca. <laughs> the first ever McDonald's drive-thru was in Sierra Vista, Arizona, and I find that fascinating. How about built, that? It was built because Fort Huachuca had a weird-ass rule. They don't have that rule anymore. What year was that? But what year was it? Uh, mid seventies. No, what year? Oh, mid seventies. No, we didn't live there then. So we lived there pre McDonald's drive-up window. Just saying. Pre pre window. Yeah, I find that story absolutely fascinating. And I don't think I've ever said this at the end of a show. I'm surprised more people don't know this story. Yeah, man, you know what I love doing at the end of a shaft? Drinking a nice cold glass of Sprite soda. Sprite soda! It's the fucking tits! That's their new slogan. They will be premiering it soon. Uh, I believe they're going to be premiering it at the XFL Bowl. It's the Super Bowl for the XFL. Okay. So uh, be sure to look for that. And that's it for Shaft this week. Uh, I think it was a good one. I think it was a good one. I think it was an yeah. awesome one. She thinks it was an awesome one. Uh-huh. Because she, she, was, she was really a part of this exactly. one. Exactly. Like that. Exactly. How odd that you spent some time living in Fort Two and a half years. Yeah. Crazy. I, 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 uh, I dated a woman named Stephanie, and she lived in an army base, I think in, like, Guam or something. I don't remember. But she, apparently, she, she was born in this army base uh, at the exact same time as the guy who took over for Steve in Blue's Clues. Steve, and then there was Steve's brother, Joe. Yeah, she was born at that base with Joe from Blue's Clues. They were friends as babies. Okay. find that to be bizarrely odd. And I was the one who figured it out. Because I was like, I wonder what Joe's doing. Steve has like a music career. His, uh, one of his songs is the theme song, The Young Sheldon, which I fucking hate. But at least he's out there and he's making music and he's... 
I wonder what Joe's doing. Oh shit, that's the base that Stephanie was born in. Hold on a second. Hey, Stephanie, were you, were you born in this base? Oh shit. When were you born? Was it this month and this year? Yes? Okay, how did I know that? You were born the same time as Joe from freaking Blue's Clothes.